the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Professor Stephanie Paul Pysel tells her introduction to ministry class at Harvard Divinity School. It's your responsibility as a minister not to pretend to know something you don't, but it's also your responsibility to say the things you know are true. So I'm going to tell you what I know to be true. Faith is messy. Several years ago, I found myself working at the Container Store. If you've never been, it's a beautiful retail store that has boxes for your boxes. It has hooks, caddies, bins, and baskets. It has ba baskets and bins to organize your life and all its contents. Just walk in the door and you will feel calm. I enjoy working there. Our home might not be my mother's kind of clean, but we are organized. Everything has its own cute little box. But I put my possessions into these, and I affix a label to the front of them with my handy-dandy label maker. It's great. I put my God into one of those little boxes. Something to look at on the shelf and say, that's pretty. I could pull him down when I really needed him, like to find a parking spot. I needed God to be simple, straightforward, and clean. That was great, as long as she didn't make my already messy life any messier. It was never my plan to work retail. My plan was to go to college, go to seminary, become a priest, and marry a nice Episcopalian boy. <laughs> it's nice to have a plan. To imagine your life as a set of ordered steps, one after the other, and a predictable and rewarding path. But as we all know, Life is what happens when you're busy making plans. I ended up working at the container store because my plan backfired. Or at least, it didn't work out. You see, I did go to college. I did start the process of becoming a priest. I even dated an Episcopalian. <laughs> but when it came time to go to seminary, I instead chose to enter the Episcopal Service Corps in New Jersey. In many ways, this ended up being the right thing for me, as you'll see, but it didn't start that way. I felt alone, and worse, unwelcome. It was the first time in my life I'd lived in a majority-minority community, and you would have thought I had silly white girl tattooed on my forehead to warn the locals. Jersey was tough on me. It was then that I realized I had to withdraw from the process of becoming a priest. At 23, my plan for the last seven years was gone. Out the window. What do I do now? In a moment of sheer desperation, I let God out of that cute little box. I practiced true faith simply by putting one foot in front of the other. I moved to St. Louis to be with Brian, a Jew. We got a cat. We got married. We started to build a life. Through helping others, God healed me from the hurt and anger I felt towards the church. And my yearning to be close to him through the Eucharist grew. We tried out attending Holy Communion one more time. 
and it was Mike's first Easter Sunday. It wasn't long before Mike nudged me into the discernment process. Now let me take a moment here. I was not happy about this. In fact, I was infuriated. I had spent several hard years healing from this pain, this feeling of abandonment. God had told me loud and clear, no. And along comes Mike Angel to put me right back into that mess. Took several nudges from others and ultimately the realization that I was not the same as I was before. And that maybe God hadn't said no. Maybe it was not yet. What was different was I had faith. Faith that was and continues to be reckoned to me. In today's reading, we hear about Peter. Poor Peter. I once laughed at Peter for his short-sightedness. Oh, Peter, don't you know what needs to happen? Jesus has to suffer, die, and rise again for the promise to be fulfilled. That's the deal. That's why we're sitting here. Today I relate to Peter. Peter doesn't know how the story is going to end. So hearing what's going to happen isn't comforting to him. Peter is behaving the way any friend might. Hey, maybe there is some political deal to be negotiated here. Maybe you don't have to die a horrific death. Maybe, Jesus, you can grow old and teach more disciples and carry the message that way. It makes me wonder, if God told me the plan, would I react like Peter? Faith is messy. It's developed. It's not easy, and it's not convenient. It's worth pointing out that in his rebuke of Peter, Jesus' meme-worthy, get-behind-me-Satan, is followed by the more important point. Peter has set his mind not on divine things, but on human things. Faith will mostly not line up with what makes intuitive sense in the here and now. Which is a nice segue to talk about Abram who becomes Abraham. He too hears God's plan. He practices faith that God will give him a son, despite, as Paul reminds us, being as good as dead. (laughs) How could a man that old with a barren wife, as old as he, become the father of many nations? Paul tells us it was by faith. That's the argument that Paul makes that faith joins us into the covenant. And Jesus, we have the promise that it will be okay, that God holds us in the palm of his hand. It may not be pretty. It may not fit into a nice little box. It will be messy. Which brings us to Lent. Often in Lent, we hear that it's a time for us to consider our sins, things done and left undone. But I want to offer a different perspective. I offer you to consider Lent as a time of reflection and prayer, space for you to consider whether or not you are hearing God's call in your life. After all, it is unlikely that God will appear with instructions to us 
as clear as those he gives to Abraham. How often do you arrive at the end of your day, exhausted, and wondering what you spent all that energy actually accomplishing? I've had the good fortune of being able to stay at home with my son, Felix, for the last year. His birthday's tomorrow, I'm kind of freaking out. He might actually be Bam Bam. <laughs> so far, he's destroyed a baby gate, a high chair, and several toys. Parenthood is messy. I've become more familiar with my son's bodily functions than my own. I spend most of my energy chasing him around, and it hasn't left much time or attention for the kind of reflection faith can demand. But occasionally, I do get to sit in quiet prayer and listen, and God, instead of shouting, begins to whisper to me, I leave those all-too-brief, quiet moments with more questions than when I started. But I also leave them more rejuvenated. I encourage you to come to the Wednesday night gatherings during Lent. This year is all about discerning God's call, listening to God's call, interpreting God's call. The evening starts with contemplative prayer. I warn you, there's a lot of silence. I personally don't like silence. I like music and ambient noise. But silence is all too often where I find God. Not in the loud, but in the quiet. And then we eat and listen to where God calls others. The second part is crucial, for it is frequently through the voice of others that I can hear the divine. Practicing a life of faith does not mean living a life void of doubt. A life of faith is, in some ways, a constant doubt, but a constant comforting in the doubting. A life of faith reminds us not to ignore human things, but rather to listen for the divine in human things. For me, practicing faith has meant feeling the fear and doing it anyways, and that's not always in grand gestures but in the daily toils of our lives. It means practicing kindness instead of selfishness. It means practicing generosity rather than chasing the material. It means removing the things we cling to instead of clinging to God. Faith is messy. Amen.